Luis Tanieto is a passionate environmentalist. He loves his family and together with his wife, Malaini, he wants people to understand and love the coastline. He feels that gathering and sharing knowledge is the best way forward. Listen to what he had to say. So it's a pleasure um, to be here today in Luis Tanieto's house. Hello, Luis. Hello, Michelle. I just want to introduce Luis. He's my guest today. Luis is, apart from being my cousin, he is uh, many, many things. I want to go through the list. I have a whole list. I know cringe. I can see your face. So you're a son and you're a stepfather of two gorgeous boys. You're a husband to Melanie of eight years. You're an impassionate environmentalist, a lover of the sea. You're a researcher and a learner of the sea. We'll go into that a little bit more. Uh, you have two degrees. I don't know if people know that. I do. You're a cancer survivor. You're a very accomplished musician. And uh, as part of the Nautilus Project, which you are co-founder of, you won an Energy Globe Award for Gibraltar, which is quite a prestigious thing. So we're going to go into lots of things. It doesn't sound like you're talking about me, but... <laughs> well, that's probably, I mean, one of the main reasons I wanted to do this, apart from because um, I think you're great, is because probably a lot of people see you as the man at the Nautilus Project, the lover of the sea, but they don't know all these other things about you. And I think, you know, you should, we should get them out there and get people to... to to really know Lewis himself. So we're going to start when you were age two, because this is a crucial time in your life because you nearly drowned. Tell us about that. So it was um, a, a time when the frontier was still shut and the only way you could go out on a day out was, uh, was out on a boat. And so we went out to Hetares and uh, the family were, were having lunch on, on the boat. I remember uh, climbing to the back of the boat. I, I had a, a, always had a real strong pull to, to the water, but on this occasion, I actually climbed down the ladder and kind of released myself at the, at the back of the boat. And I didn't know how to swim properly, but I was able to do it for a couple of seconds and hold on the ladder. And, um, and so then I thought, well, I'll, I'll try it again. And I did it two or three times and I, I you know, I, I was absolutely fine. Yeah. And and as I uh, um, normally end up, I, I thought, well, okay, so so I'll really set a challenge for myself. Now I'm going to swim around the boat. Okay. So from from the back of the <laughs> from the holding on to the back of the stairs, it suddenly became a swim around the boat challenge. And as soon as I did that. I remember the wind picking up and flicking the water in my face and the boat, which was on an anchor, started swinging away. And, of course, uh, uh, I was struggling panicking. to get to the boat and panicking. And nobody noticed this was going no, on? No, no, actually, nobody noticed. For a good 15, 20 minutes, I was in the water. Wow, and, and Str struggling. Struggling to, struggling to, to swim, struggling to stay on the surface. Two, gosh, things, two things I remember. I remember uh, vividly um, having to uh, actually uh, processing the fact that I had to hold my breath for as long as I could whilst I was underwater and use that opportunity when I came to the surface to breathe because I wasn't able to keep, I was so tired, I wasn't able to keep myself on the surface. Gosh, what did your family say? Did they notice? Eventually, I suppose uh, they did. Eventually, eventually they did and they jumped in, they jumped in after me. They thought there was a boy swimming quite far from the beach and uh, and then suddenly they realised that, was was, that I was missing from the boat. So, so they all leapt in the water to come and rescue so, me. So, Lewis, even with all that, that hasn't put you off the sea at all? I, 
I, I tell you, I, there, there are, um, you know how people sometimes have nightmares of, of experiences that they have? I still have that nightmare uh, periodically. Of course. Um, but it's, it hasn't phased me at all from, uh, from just absolutely being in love with, with, with the ocean and, and everything to do with it. So I remember some of our first times together. Well, apart from that, we're family, but you're younger than I am, so I am. we didn't really hang out. But um, going to the yacht club and fishing, I was a, a huge enthusiast of fishing because my dad used to take me fishing and I think I used to spend most of my days in the summer and all the other kids who were there used to come and join in and that's probably what you remember as well so that was uh, so from a quite a young age as well I used to fish with your dad I remember we used to leave the lines tied up uh, overnight and see and see what we would get but I also vividly remember off the the yacht club pier uh, fishing with Dalia Stagneto and we used to spend uh, uh, hours and hours there Um, and and always always really always really enjoyed it I used to target the fish so um, with with a little massa that there was I always used to leave the bait down the bottom And uh, if the wrong fish came, I'd kind of give it a tug to scare them away. And I would use that strategy to target the fish. And inevitably, with a bit of patience and a lot of luck, I would end up catching the the fish. Wow, I didn't know you had a strategy. I just used to put the mass at the end of the hook and try my luck. And and I was quite good at it. Always wanted the big fish. Oh, yeah, but the the big fish fish were always at the very bottom. That's right. (laughs) And my dad used to say, never put a weight on. Because if you do, you're not going to catch as many. So I used to spend ages waiting for the little hook with a mass at the end to go all the way down and then maybe maybe in a freak day i'd get a big fish and on the way down all the little tiddlers would eat 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 the the bait bait, i know (laughs) they would so what do you you remember vividly about your childhood lewis um Growing up, your brother and your sister, was it a happy childhood? You had yeah, a- I, I, I would say so. I mean, um, growing up in Gibraltar, it was always a safe place. Then I remember yes. um, growing uh, the frontier opening. I remember going out to Spain for the first time. So that was uh, uh, very exciting. It was, it was a big thing because we'd yeah. spent all our time on boats up to, up to this point. Yeah. Um, you know, exploring things like the Pinal del Rey with, with, uh, with, with my family. Uh, areas that I still go to today. So, you know, it's... it's um, areas that I recognize and so so maybe your family um, were the ones who nurtured this love for the outdoors the sea the nature I think it was a different time back then because really um, we weren't an a, a digital age where we're yeah. all got gadgets you know you did your experiences by going out and exploring and I think that that explorer uh, part has always kind of stayed quite the strong view. in me yeah so you went off to study you ended up doing two degrees. I think I remember part of this because you were in England at the same time as I think as I was at some point. You were in and Oxford Brooks. I was in Oxford Brooks, and you came to visit me. Yes. And I remember um, spending time with another cousin. We have Joey, who lived in Oxford at the time. So yeah, that was that was cool. What what was your first degree? I did computer science, and I did that in Nottingham Trent. And to be honest, I was a bit at this stage in my life. I was a little bit lost as to uh, where I wanted to go. Um, you know, I, I felt like I needed to find a career, kind of a, a money-earning path. And um, computer science just seemed like something that you could fit into any industry and seemed like a good uh, tool to have. Um, yeah. And so I applied to Nottingham Trent to do, to do computer science. And you did. You, so you got your degree. I got my degree in computer science. And then, and then I started working in uh, London, in the city. So uh, I worked at Thomson Financial. I worked at JP Morgan. Gosh. I worked at... Uh, what what so, a different life you have now. I mean, <laughs> poles apart, really. You yeah. couldn't get more different. Yeah, it couldn't get more different. Um, 
Um, but it was during this time that I, I, it really hit home how out of place I was in these, uh, in these institutions. I could do the work, yeah. but I, I just didn't, didn't enjoy doing the work. It didn't, it didn't it fill didn't, you it with... It didn't fill me with anything. So um, I, 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 knew what, I knew what I wanted to do, but I knew what that entailed. And I wanted to do something with the sea. You, I, al- you always knew that. that well, was... I think I, I worked it out quite late in the game. Okay. Uh, because once I was working in the banks, I realised that what I didn't want to do was banking. And what, what drew me was, was, the, was water. So crossing the Thames, I would have this moment crossing one of the bridges of the Thames where I'd look down and you know, see the boats and do something. You know, head down to Brighton, you know, on Brighton Pier, on the beach. I'd enjoy being down by the water. When I'd come back, one of the things, uh, coming out of the plane, one of the first things that always struck me um, was the smell of the salty air that we have here. And so there were were lots of little cues, I think, that were kind of hinting me in in the direction that I needed to go. But it involved retraining, and that was a a daunting task. Yeah. Um, And I didn't know how committed I was, whether this was just something, you know, a spur-of-the-moment thing or, you know, how how much I was going to really uh, throw myself into it. So what I started doing... And became a uh, volunteer aquarist at the London Aquarium. I wanted, Ooh, I I wanted to see how you know how much I enjoyed uh, doing it, and um, I loved every you moment loved of it. it. Yeah, well, because I was a diver as well. I was a paddy diver, uh, dive master. So straight away, I was able to do all the uh, big tank uh, uh, diving. So I was in there with the sharks and wow. uh, feeding the sharks and uh, administering treatments to the sharks, and that that was that was uh, an awesome time because what fun. It was it was awesome. It was awesome. All some time it was the first time in my life that I'd worked seven days a week and, and I was looking forward <laughs> to going to work yeah. um, so it was it, it was awesome it was really uh, a, a really good time in my life had you ever been swam with sharks I'd swam with sharks snorkeling here as a, as a kid oh really um, there are sharks here wouldn't maybe yeah, maybe you, that's not something you should say <laughs> well you? there are a lot less of them now okay. are they small they're not blue like... sharks a couple of meters and, okay. and in fact we still get hammerheads and blues there are sightings of them on, on the east side uh, pretty much every summer it's just yeah. they don't come right up to um, the beach so it's, it's not really a problem and people shouldn't be afraid of them because they they're kind of curious and then they'll disappear okay um, but well, yeah no, the aquarium um it was the first time i'd swum with them at such close quarters the first time i'd swum with them with food on me <sighs> which is a, a difference to swimming with them in the wild so it was quite cool uh, feeding the sharks, going into the pool with food. You said it was a bit different to just swimming in the wild with them. Yeah, because uh, for one, as soon as the sharks smell the food, they come a lot closer than, than they would otherwise. Yeah. And uh, sharks suffer goiter due to a lack of iodine in, in, in the water. So what happens is, is that we had to put iodine supplements in the fish, which meant each shark had to have its own fish. You couldn't just randomly chuck uh, uh, a fish, fish in the water and hope that the right one got it. <laughs> which meant that a diver needed to, or two, a pair of divers needed to get into the water and hand feed the sharks, oh. uh, which was, which was wow. uh, Interesting. an amazing experience. Did you ever have an accident? Did they ever, like, bite your... Not, not t- at all. Oh, good. The, I, I, the way I would compare it, you know when you, you, you get a, a dog biscuit and you give it to a dog? A dog doesn't typically bite, bite it, it out no, of it, your hands. It very gently gen- takes it. Uh, uh, that's exactly what the sharks do in How that environment. interesting, my goodness. So then, Lewis, you had a stint in London for a while and then decided to 
to what to retrain or to come back to jib how in what order did that happen so uh, whilst i was working at the london aquarium by this stage i'd given up working at the bank i was volunteering and in fact I, my volunteering had turned into a uh, a job at the london aquarium um and then i wanted to um retrain in marine biology so i decided to uh, look at the universities that did it i picked southampton I went down to Southampton and did a four-year course on marine biology. Unbelievable. Living in London, commuting to Southampton. Commuting down to Southampton My on a daily God. basis. My yeah. gosh. And it, it's, it's that type of thing that made me realise um, how much of a passion I had for the subject. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, driving down to Southampton from London every day is a commitment in itself, financial yeah. uh, and in terms of the, of the subject matter. But one of the things that I, I realised, contrasting it with my first degree, is that there was literature that we were given that we had to read. And um, that, that reading list, not only would I read all of the required reading but I was reading all of the recommended and extended reading because I was just uh, really I couldn't get enough of it and yeah. I think that, that that's what the difference is you know and I, I really if, if anyone is, is doing a, a degree and, and you're really trudging your way through it and it's painful I, I, I would you know get you to think about the fact that you might not be in the right degree because uh, for me the difference between my computer science which I trudged my way through and my yes. marine biology where I couldn't get enough of um, was was really really stuck, and at the end, I was uh, um, I, I came out of that with a first class degree from Southampton, Amazing. and uh, and that was kind of my catalyst to start thinking about what what we could what I could do with it, and and at that point, I'd been in England a, a good while now, and I decided to come back to Gibraltar. Hi, it's Hex Algada from Fitness TMB. We work with men and women over 40 to get fit, lose fat, get energized and develop a powerful mindset. You can accomplish this by implementing significant changes in your habits and routines, such as optimizing nutrition and mastering your sleep. I have created for the over 40s the RRE method, recondition, recharge and energize. It's a 13-week program that will enable you to find gratification in your fitness journey, as well as positively shifting your mindset and well-being. You can get in touch at heck at fitnesstmb.com or visit fitnesstmb.com. So I'm here with Luis Stagnetto, a researcher and lover of the sea. I love that. Researcher and, and lover and learner of the sea because you're you're doing it even today. You don't stop. I, mean. I think learning in, in somebody's life is something you should never stop doing. Um, you know, it is curiosity that, that drives um, knowledge. And so yeah, I'm, I'm constantly trying to seek that out. Uh, and and my, my learning is just, I, I can't put a book down. So it, it, and you it, just carry on yeah. and on and on. Exactly. So you came back to Jib. This is where we're at now in our, in our chat. You came back to Jib. You got a job in Jib, which was to pay bills and basically get you through. And Correct. then when did your, your absolute passion to start the Nautilus project, when did you decide to start and why? Okay, so um, actually, when I when I got back, I actually um, I ended up getting diagnosed with cancer. I had yeah, lymphoma, uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, and it was a bit out of the blue because I wasn't somebody that um, you know they tell you don't smoke, don't drink, uh, 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 you know you got to exercise regularly, you got to eat all these the right things, and, and I was always somebody that was very careful with that type of thing. So. To me, it wasn't 
something that I was really expecting. Yeah. Nor was I feeling particularly ill when they diagnosed it. I was fortunate because I had a lump in my throat yes. and that lump wouldn't go away. And so they gave me a couple of courses of antibiotics and it wasn't making any difference. And, uh, you know, to err on the side of caution, they decided to operate and remove the tonsils, which is what they did. And that's and when they discovered that's when it. That's when they discovered the cancer. How dev- the, devastating the, for you. It, it was a bit surreal because at the end of the day, I didn't... Um, I didn't feel ill, and yeah. I was such a young age. I was 32 when they discovered it. So I, I, at that time, I kind of, I think a lot of people do this. You have plans uh, of things you're going to do when you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. You kind of just take that time for granted. Yeah. And it was the first time, I think, that I panicked a little bit and thought, ooh, I might not actually get to yeah. 60, 70, you know, and yeah. I might not even get to 40 um, because I was 32. So, um, and... I, I think that really made you changed my perspective yeah. on on how you really should live a life yes, uh, from yes. such a long term view, which I think we all take sometimes. For oh, granted. we'll get round yeah. to doing that. To actually, no, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it now because we never know what tomorrow might bring. Left. Yeah. So, so how was all the cancer treatment? How did that affect you? Were you were you working in Jib at the time? I was working in Jib at the time, um, and what I would do in order to deal with it I was having my cancer treatment on one day I would take that day off and then the next day I was uh, back in at work as if nothing was going on just because it would help me focus the mind and I'm, I'm can't speak for for other cancer sufferers but I can certainly say that from uh, in my journey uh, the treatment the chemo and and the pills and all the kind of intrusions that they do mm. while, while investigations while, whilst they're trying to suss out how um, uh, you know how, how it's where worked, you are yeah. The mental battle is the worst of it um, because then every time I had a sore throat in my head, the cancer was back. And yeah. that side of the battle, I think, is actually harder, harder than dealing with a lot of the treatment. And how, do you, how did you cope with that? Were you able to get to your precious C? So I coped, I wasn't actually, because I was on cancer treatment, I wasn't allowed to dive. So for a long period of time, I wasn't uh, allowed in the water. I couldn't get insurance to dive because I was on, yes. on um, chemotherapy. Um, so swimming and snorkeling was, was, the, oh. was the best I could do. Um, and and yeah, yeah there, was, there was not very much going on with the sea at, at that time. But was that where the Nautilus project was born in your head, maybe? So what happened at the, at the end of the cancer treatment was that I became very short-term uh, goal-orientated, perhaps too much, you know, yeah. too much the other extreme. And um, so, so people would say, oh, well, you know, next summer we'll go to, let, let's go, uh, you know, to, to, to wherever, Darifa for, for, for the week. And I'd be like, well, no, I'm not making that plan because I don't know that I'm going to get there. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just yeah. telling you how yeah, it yeah. was from, from yeah. my experience. Absolutely. And I'm sure there, there are plenty of other types of experiences out there. But from mine, that, that's kind of the place that I, I, I was at. And uh, Melanie, my wife, um, uh, it used to kill her every time I'd say that because um, she, she, wanted, she wanted to help create something that would, if you like, build the will to live into the equation yes i understand that i get i get that completely and that is and that's what happened that's where so she thought well how can i how can i get him tuned into something that 
will build we can build going forward and that'll kind of give him the impetus the drive to to do something again rather than just kind of living in this short termism and it was it was from that the, the combination of my love for the sea uh, and 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 teaching to 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 a degree because I've always enjoyed explaining about the sea to people and 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 talking so, about it and talking about it yeah yes. and so uh, it was through that that the, the Nautilus was was really born. Okay, and one thing while we're talking about the cancer treatment, I hear you put out a music CD. Yeah, so um, once whilst I was uh, undergoing treatment, it was the very very beginning. Uh, um, so I'd just been diagnosed, so it was there was a lot of investigation going on. I hadn't really started on the chemo, but um, I I started playing in a band uh, locally called Three Days to Rise, and we wrote um, a CD which is uh, still available. Uh, it's actually on Spotify. So if you have oh, a look okay. on it on Spotify, you okay. can actually find it. Good. Well, what was it called? Three days. Three days to rise. Three days to rise. So you started the Nautilus project, and I remember when you started it because I was working on the radio at the time, and I thought it was brilliant because I also love the sea. I love to swim, and I love the sea, and uh, lots of things were happening. It was like it was like a, a a big thing because there was nothing like it really in jib and loads of people were on board with it living in a place where we're surrounded by the sea so um what was it like at the beginning i mean did you have a lot of help it was it was i think very tough at the beginning because um i generally speaking when when you're when you're breaking ground uh there tends to be quite a lot of resistance or quite a lot of should we say mild criticism the well why are you getting into that you know there's no need to get into that type of thing yeah um um and not a lot of people knew that i was a marine biologist i think most people knew me for my uh, computer, computer skills. science credentials yeah and so um the, the marine biology was a little bit more of anathema to people so it, i think in some regard it became a, it was a bit of a shock um but uh but no the, the project started building slowly we we started uh, getting into school and doing uh, uh, talks and then we started uh, more public outreach with businesses and things. And so what is the main aim of the Nautilus project? It's really to um, get people to have an understanding and a love for, for the coastline because what's happened in today's iPad generation is that you interact with your environment through the screen yeah. and what we've lost is that connection to the environment. Um, and you can only get that connection if you've grown up with it and, and you've done things with it and you've seen it and you, you've experienced it. You know, these are the things that later turn into strong connections. And so there wasn't an opportunity for a lot of kids to do that and gain that connection. So the, the idea behind the charity was to, to, to get as much knowledge uh, uh, together, share that with the kids uh, and, and get them passionate about it so that later on, when they go off into their careers, it might not be marine biology, but what Whatever it is, they they can bring that back into uh, into their field uh, in, in an applicable way and tell other people about it and, and exactly. build on on exactly. I mean, remember that Gibraltar, we're a very small place. We're surrounded by water on three sides of of our coastline. Yeah. So it's it's you know very very relevant topic and actually a, an industry that's very massively underdeveloped. Yeah. It still is. Still is. And I panic every time I hear something else is going to be built on the coastline. Having this year, for the first time ever, walked from Sandy Bay to Catalan Bay because the tide was so low that a bunch of us thought, let's just swim. And instead of swimming, we were able to walk and we saw the most incredible um, coastline 
I mean, we were blown away. It was probably one of my f best experiences um, in my life. Have you ever done that walk from Sandy Bay to Caleta? I've actually done the snorkel around there. Wow. So I used to snorkel out as a kid from Catalan Bay. I used to go past uh, Sandy Bay. In fact, because I was a little skinny uh, uh, lad at the time, I'd probably be cold by the time I got to Sandy. So I used yeah. to get out on the beach, walk the entire length of the beach. And by the time I got to the, the southern end, I was a little bit warmer. I used to jump in, make it all the way to the submarine jetty and beyond. Oh, wow. Whilst my, whilst my mother was freaking, freaking out. out. Wondering where on earth you were. And you've you've brought out this amazing app now where if you see a sea creature we can we can well, this is exactly log it on the, our app. What the Nemo app is is designed to do. It's it's to share that information and for people that don't know how to identify it, there are there are kind of guide examples of what each animal looks like. So you have an idea of what you're looking at. And how many people have downloaded the app so far? So it, has it been popular? So to date we've got um, about two thousand five hundred roughly users uh, are active users online take into account that that spans that's not just in gibraltar some of that spans the mediterranean and a couple in the uk and along the atlantic coast not not masses okay but um we've got version two coming out and version two has some important updates for research centers so you know more more to come on that okay and i wanted to ask you what what do you what are you trying to achieve with the nautilus what i mean long term i know you don't like thinking about long term <laughs> but um medium term or, or you know because you can what, what is it I mean I know you you give talks and you go to schools and you're trying to educate children so that they grow up knowing about all these things what do you what do you do with adults how do you you know adults are a little bit harder because typically our habits are formed by the time we're adults yeah. and so really you're uh, when you talk to an adult you're challenging their world view of something which is a lot harder to it's a lot harder to change um mm. you know we've become very set in our ways um and that includes myself you know we're, yeah. we're, we're all like that um but but children get it from 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 day one i think with the nautilus with respect to the first part of your question what we're trying to do is we're trying to create opportunity for children uh, in a career and in an industry which is underdeveloped here in Gibraltar um, to give them that work experience, that practical work experience. So they're not writing on their CVs or on their UCAS form in their personal statements. Oh, I saw David Attenborough and I really like the Blue Planet, right? They can actually say, say that they've, that they've done, worked at yeah. a, a, a field centre, yeah. they've uh, practically done, used different types of equipment. And then that application to any university is going to be really impressive, right? And this is, this sure. is where we're trying to get them. For sure. And you won an Energy Globe Award with the Nautilus. How the did charity. that come about? Um, so there were some... Um, we, we were asked to submit uh, an entry for the work that we'd been doing um, because... Because you're researching as well, aren't you? We're as you researching go as well, yeah. So what you, you take samples from... So we take samples of, of animals and, and things uh, as, as well, depend, depending on what, what comes up. So mm -hmm. one of the one of the things I can give you is that there's a, a dinoflagellate that um, uh, Noctiluca scintillans, which we've been getting blooms of more more recently, and we've been monitoring that very closely, taking water samples, checking it under a microscope to confirm that you know it's definitely that, and monitoring the relative abundance of, of, wow. of that organism, which is related to climate change. So as the oceans yes. warm, yes. We're Expecting to see more yeah. and more of, of this time. Have you noticed while COVID people haven't been um you know, going out so much? Is there a difference in, in, in the in the sea and the quality of this of the 
see water or, or the marine life um, so in, our, in our area and in what affects us? In terms of nutrients, not really. In terms of temperature, not really. In terms of cleanliness with things like plastic, I would say that it was a little bit cleaner mm. uh, in, in areas where, like Roja Bay, where you know people you, don't, yeah, don't go so often. What is your favourite um, area to swim in? Favourite area to swim in, Roger Bay, without a shadow of a doubt. No, when we do the school trips in January, yes. uh, we get up in the morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, uh, head down to Roger Bay, and the water is about 14, 15 degrees, and outside it's, it's well below that. Um, I always have this moment as I jump into the water and I can feel the water working its way through the wetsuit where I think, what are you doing? <laughs> and then the, the, the mask that, that's is... That's like, it's momentary. Yeah, momentary the, yeah, as soon as the mask is underwater and I start seeing things, it's like, ooh, look... Yeah. Fish. How can we help you and the Nautilus projects? So I think the, the the single thing that we can do in order to protect the coastline is to work together because we're a small community and the more we work together for the benefit of the coastline, the more gains we're going to have. You know, sometimes in Gibraltar we have a habit of uh, doing our own thing or okay. doing it our own way. And sometimes when you do it that way, um, you, you double the effort and we can halve the effort if we work together okay. and the nice thing about Gibraltar being such a small community is that when things get done we can then use that as a model to export to other places and so although our coastline might be fairly limited if you export that model suddenly you can multiply that out and now you're, you're uh, protecting whole reams of coastline whole countries worth of coastline and okay. so, so this is this is one of the most important thing i think we need to do work together that's great and i i want to congratulate you and melanie um you. because you're trying to to do something good for everyone not just yourselves or to satisfy a need or whatever and i take my hat off to you because you're giving up i know that you're giving up all your time now you're you're teaching on the side and you're putting 100 percent into this so well done, and thank you. Thank you from me and from others. It's very kind of you to say. Lois, I want to know um, a song that's gone through your life with you. Not, not so much defined you, but one that you've carried all the way through. Okay. That you like. So um, that's possibly the hardest question <laughs> you've asked me all interview. Um, I think um, as a musician, I've uh, my grandfather always used to like classical music, and so I used to listen to a lot of Paco de Lucia. I still do, um, and I really like the Concierto de Aranguez uh, piece, okay. which is just a, a um, really emotional and beautiful bit of music, um, and it's something that I listened to as a young boy because he used to listen to. It and I've listened to it uh, uh, all the way through my life at different points in my life, and it's always kind of had uh, a special meaning. Meaning, yeah. Okay, and now another difficult question. I want you to describe me in three words. In three words, I would say uh, larger than life. Okay. That's three words. Okay, perfect. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. You and too. Thank I hope you. you enjoy listening to this back. <laughs> I look forward to hearing Thank it. you. Bye. Bye. 
You've been listening to On the Sofa with Rouge, a series of talks where I talk to friends and family about all the interesting things they've been getting up to. A massive shout out to Charlie Hurst, my sound engineer, who's done an incredible job of putting this podcast together. His website is soundunit.co.uk, should you want to get in touch with him. And also a massive shout out to Beatrice Garcia, who's a very accomplished artist and who's beautifully designed the logo for this uh, icon for this podcast. And her website is Beatrice garcia.com thanks a lot for listening please get in touch rougejib at gmail.com if you want to let me know uh, what you thought of my podcast and uh, how i could improve and please 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 tune in because more podcasts are being dropped all the time <laughs>